one thing I want you to do for me. What? Come here. What? When? What are we waiting for? Take us! Everybody. Welcome to the Tim Gaither Podcast, episode 61, and uh, I keep hitting that thing. It's great to have you here, buddy. It's great to just hang out. One of my one of my favorite, uh, not only comedians, but just people in, in Hollywood in general. Oh, thanks, buddy. Yeah. I feel the same way. This is great. Yeah, it's cool in here, isn't it? Uh-huh. Plus, I like hanging out during the day. Yeah. It's just more fun, because yeah. we always hang out at night. Right. So when you hang out with your comedian friends during the day, it's like when normal people hang out with their friends at night. Yeah, I you dig know? your Goonies shirt, too. It's my one of my all time favorite movies. Yeah, when I was uh, when I was a kid, it was always definitely one of my favorites. And even now, when it comes on, and I'm like, you know, like on a Sunday afternoon, it's like, oh, I know what I'm doing for the next hour and a half. Yeah, it holds <laughs> up, <laughs> man. <laughs> yeah, it makes you feel like you're freaking twelve years old again. And the coolest thing is, like, I always think, like, did I grow up with better stuff, or is it just because it's my stuff? I like it more. Yeah. But, like, when my nephew was eight, I showed him Goonies, and he was blown away. He loved like, it? Yeah. Like, he loved Ghostbusters, Goonies, all the good stuff. Yeah. Uh, we were just talking right before we started uh, started the podcast about how I'm going to have a son. That's so... It's triple million, bazillion congratulations. Thanks, That's buddy. Awesome. You know, yeah. uh, Steve and I were entrusted with Rick Ingram's child. Oh, yeah. And it didn't die. Oh, my gosh. That was like a sitcom. <laughs> I was so nervous. I mean, we're talking like five-month-old. Rick had to shoot a commercial, and he's like, guys, can you both come over? My wife would feel better if there were two of you yeah. there. First, Sophie That's was awesome. there, the waitress, and then she showed me stuff. She did the stuff. AM shift. Yeah, she did the AM shift, and I was like, I, I, I can't do this by myself. Yeah. And then she, she's like, kicked the door open like, a 70s-style detective. <laughs> I got your back. <laughs> Dude, we were trying to put her down. We laid her in the crib. Tim, take notes. And we were like, we couldn't get her calmed down, and so we both like pretended like we were getting tired and oh, slowly yeah. kind of like calmed ourselves down and like became real slow and almost, you know, like we were sleeping just to trick her into sleeping. Yeah. Didn't work. Didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> but, I, my sister's got six kids, and my brother has four, so I've had a lot of nieces and nephews. Oh, and, that's awesome. And one thing I learned about babies I was telling my wife, I was like, you have to learn how to do this. Just, <laughs> I was like, that will make a baby stop crying every fucking time, at least for a, like a minute or two, because they're just like, they get this, you just go, you just make this noise, you go, <laughs> and the baby's like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> I don't care how hard. That's awesome. Yeah, I don't care how hard they're crying. They will stop for at least a few seconds and be like, what are you doing? How do you? And then they go right back to crying. <laughs> my biggest fear with a newborn is that uh, colic, a colicky baby. My mm. my mom took care of this colicky baby when I was a kid. I was like fifteen, and and I had what this is that? A colic is when like they, they get air in their stomach, and mm. it's like a it, sometimes I think they've come a long way since then. But I was like fifteen, and she was taking care of this kid, and this kid just scream cried like twenty three hours a day. I don't know how my mom took care of this kid as long as she did without losing her fucking mind. Because she left me with this kid for about a half an hour. She's like, I've got to run to your sisters. And we didn't, we rarely had a phone when I was growing up because we were broke all the time. Yeah. She left me with this kid, and a half hour to my mom quickly turns into like an hour or two. 
And I got to the point with this kid, I think I was maybe 13, scream crying in my face, just bah, bah, with a little tongue shaking shit. And I was like, fuck, I don't know what to do. I finally put him in the bed and I ran to my sister's because we lived in the same apartment complex. And I was like, you got to come get this kid. And she was like, she was like, you left that baby alone. I'm like, well, yeah, I'm fucking, I don't know what to do. It's, it's killing me. Yeah. So, yeah, that's my biggest fear. But that's a long way to go to say that I... We're talking about Goonies and all that, and what am I... I cannot wait until my little boy is, like, five, and I can show him Rocky for the first time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Cause, That's uh, such a good movie. Yeah. All of them are. And uh, <laughs> and when I remember when I saw it when I was, like, five or six years old, like, I remember seeing Rocky train all that time, and then he was getting his ass kicked by, by Apollo, and I remember in my five-year-old brain, I was like, how is he losing? He trains so hard. <laughs> 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 how can he possibly be getting his ass kicked? But, uh... Yeah. Karate, Kid? Gotta, gotta get some Karate Kid is. I, I love Cobra Kai, by the way. I heard it's awesome. It's awesome. It really is. It really it's is. Cheesy, awesome. Brett Ernst does a great job in it. <laughs> and, I love that dude. He really does. He does a great job. And uh, um, what was I going to say about Karate Kid? I, I loved that movie as much as anyone. But I remember always thinking, like, Daniel is such a pussy. <laughs> You know, like, I don't care how much karate he knows. I would just punch him right in the chest. Well, I remember when I was a kid watching that, I was like, it's this, like, Rocky, but with karate? Like, And I didn't know it was the same director. Oh, I didn't it, know it was it the is. same okay. guy. I didn't know that either. Yeah, it's, it's just a remix. It's the same <laughs> song. They just remixed it. Yeah. Mickey, was. Mr. Miyagi, right. Adrian, the other broad. Yeah. <laughs> the other broad. Who was the other broad? Oh, yeah, yeah. She had a hell of a career, huh? Yeah. I saw her not too long ago in the street, and I damn near rear-ended somebody. I was like, is that Elizabeth? <laughs> it's amazing the people that shake you, right? Like, once uh, Willie Ames drove by me, and I lost my mind. Really? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Who's Willie Ames? Eight is enough? Uh, and Scott Baio's sidekick, oh, okay. and Zapped, okay. and Charles in charge. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Bible now or something, isn't it? I don't know. Willie Ames? We need a microphone for you, because the people that no, are well, Scott, listening... Well, Scott Bayo now lives in Olathe and has a, a mega church in Kansas. What? Scott, Scott, Scott Bayo? Oh, no, 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 no. I'm thinking... That's, that's Kirk Cameron. Cameron. Yes, Kirk Cameron. Cameron. I'm sorry. Same yeah. heartthrob, guys. Sorry. <laughs> Same heartthrob. <laughs> such a great <laughs> word. My brother looked a lot like uh, Kirk Cameron when we were kids. All the girls would be Did like, Did he Wait? just crush chicks? He, well, he would Is that your brother? That's the wrestler? Yeah, um, and he was he was really good looking, and my brother, my friend, and I were the funny ones, and we were all, we would always be like Jim, because he, he would try to be funny, and I'm like we were like just sit there and look pretty and shut up, we'll be funny. You just look the way you do. But yeah, he had the Kurt Cameron hair, and all the girls would you know, and I had glasses and shit, and I was kind of a dork, and my all my my his the girls would be like, where is your brother? And I'd be like, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how you make a comedian. Exactly, the recipe for a You have brothers too, right, Steve? Yeah, I have an older brother and a younger brother. Okay. And you're the, so you're the middle child. Was that, uh, so you got the best of both worlds, or is that the hardest, being the middle child? I love, I don't know any other way. Yeah. You know what I mean? I guess that's true. Like, uh, I, there was always somebody to hang out with. Yeah. You know? Is Mark greatest. your younger brother? Yeah. Okay. And we shared a bedroom growing up, so I'm like... We were the little guys. Yeah. And my big brother ran our house like a 
corrupt union official. Like <laughs> he was the master manipulator. Yeah. He ran the show. How much older was he? Three years older than me, four years older than my younger oh, brother. Oh, that's perfect. Perfect, yeah. Perfect yeah. age for evil manipulation. Yeah, as far as being the manipulator. Yeah, because like the difference between a twelve year old and a nine year old, that's a whole different species. Yeah. You're old enough to like still hang out. You're the same close enough in age that you can still hang out. Yeah. But you're old enough that yeah, you could tell him pretty much anything. And, oh, he would too. And three or four years younger, though, de- you'll definitely you probably believed every fucking. Uh, yeah, thing he I said. remember when I was like four, he told me that bubble yum had spider eggs in it, and I was like, "What?" <laughs> he was like, "Yeah, you better not chew that stuff, because <laughs> then the spiders get in your belly." And I'm like, "Whoa, I don't want that." And I, he was like, "You better give it to me," and I did. Uh, yeah. And then he just pops in a piece, and he was like. If you're seven, it doesn't affect you. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, good to know. No. Three more years. That's very clever of your brother. Oh, he would, did that stuff all the time. I had a little sister that I, that I, a stepsister that I convinced that she didn't know about money yet. So I'd be like, I'll give you forty pennies for four quarters, and she'd be like, okay, deal. <laughs> yeah, my big brother did all. What else would he do? Uh. Oh, if there was something delicious. I remember this vividly. Because he would like, he was a fat kid, so he was always like making snacks and stuff. Yeah. And then my little brother was like, mmm, that smells good. I want some of that. <laughs> and he was like, you want chicken duty soup? <laughs> he was like, what? He was like, this is chicken duty soup. He's like, I don't like duty. <laughs> and he was like, but that's what it is. No, what's that? C H I chicken duty. You spell duty N O O D L E. Yeah, that's how you spell duty. That's hilarious. <laughs> he did all that stuff, and he but he didn't just run game on me and my little. He did it to my mom. Yeah, like this. This is I just did this as a bit uh, Mother's Day weekend because I was just talking about moms and stuff like that, and I'm yeah. like, this might stay in the act because uh, like he really did run our house. So like when your birthday was coming up, you you wouldn't go to your I wouldn't go to my parents and tell them what I wanted. I'd go to my big brother. And he'd be like, okay, give me your list, and I'll see what I can do. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. And he was like, now write in Van Halen tape. But I'd be like, I don't, I don't want a Van Halen tape. And he was like, that's my cut. Nice. So Dude. he would, he would like ask, <laughs> I would ask for stuff on my birthday for him. Yeah. And then like he would, I remember him doing this to my mom. Like, say my, it was my little brother's birthday coming up. Yeah. So this is how he would manipulate my mom. He's like, okay, now did, what did we get Marky everything on his list? And she'd be like, pretty much. Okay, what are we getting them? And she'd rattle off everything that she could afford to get them. Right? Yeah. And then no matter how much it was or how amazing it was, he would go, uh-huh, what else? <laughs> and she'd be like, what do, you, what do you mean, what else? That's, that's it. And he'd go, that's all you're getting? She's like, yeah, Chris, I'm, that, that's all we have money for. And he'd be like, all right. <laughs> what do you mean all right well he only turned seven once why make it magical yeah and then he'd start singing you did your best but i guess your best wasn't good enough to put a smile on marky's face <laughs> you're a rotten little boy like he would break my grandmother's balls to her face it was the best uh, what does he do now He's some sort of scientist. I was like, man, he's, or rules the world like in disguise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like, he how, was, I like yeah. how he's your brother, and you're like, he's some sort of scientist. Yeah, I'm not smart I, enough to understand what he does. I don't even know. I don't pretend I know. What yeah, he, he tried to explain it once, and I'm like, uh huh. Yeah. So it's there's like, computers involved, but yeah, science too. Yeah, like, I got tired of manipulating brains. I'm gonna do just cells now and just work. Yeah, he, he was like hysterical. He's the funniest person I've ever met. Now, yeah. are you happy? I was gonna ask earlier. Um, 
like with all that torment and everything that you grew up with, which everyone yeah, but deals it was lovable with, torment. It wasn't bad. Like the inspiration, like with your comedy, because I mean, I, I mean, we go back, uh, yeah, whatever, a long time. Yeah, I remember it before the break happened when you were still on Tuesday nights, back door, right upstairs in the main room. I mean, this may be like oh five, oh six. Yeah, and it was a while ago, but I remember you sitting there and you're like, you know, it's just it takes time, and it, you had confidence in your ability, but watching all your friends on TV and everything yeah. was very difficult for you. And then it was like. A couple years later, it was like snap, pop, and it was all that family stuff that really struck a chord with the audience. Like, yeah, it's interesting. That was, I guess, like, would you trade any of that? No, nah, man, I'm. For... Look, we're all blessed. We're all everybody in this room right now is blessed beyond belief to yeah. do what we do. I don't look at what anybody. I'm, I'm, I'm rooting for everybody, and that's not like some Hollywood fake talk. I'm legitimately rooting for everybody. I want everybody to make it. Um. A while back, I realized that in order for me to find happiness in my life, I had to stop looking at what I didn't have, and I had to start celebrating what I do have. Yeah. And I started to realize, like, for a while, you do start to think—I did doubt myself. I started to think, like, maybe I'm just not talented. Maybe uh, people are, are working harder than me. And I was like, dude, I'm working as hard as I can. I, I, I'm getting a good response from the audience. I'm trying to be as, ri- as original as I can. And I realize some people just hit the lottery in this town. They really do. Yeah. They'll be three years in, and they get the right agent. They get a sitcom. They're, and they're millionaires. Yeah. And that just happens. Right. But the people that really, really have great careers, there's no replacing hard work. Yeah. There's no replacing persistence and paying your dues. Like, my favorite comics right now have all been doing in at least 20 years. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, your Bill Burr, Sebastian, Joey Diaz. Those guys didn't take any shortcuts. Yeah. And, uh... I was about 10 years in when I started to realize I had to just start celebrating what I did have. Yeah, there, there really is a lot of power in, in, in gratitude. Like, it's everything. I just did these gigs um, this last weekend, and, and uh, without getting into all of it, I wasn't, like, on the way home, I just, I don't know if I hadn't had enough sleep or whatever, but I felt kind of depressed or something. Yeah. And I, was, I was on the plane, and, uh, and it wasn't that I had bad shows or anything. I was just, I just felt depressed. So I pulled out my notebook, and I started, and I just wrote down, like, 10 things that happened this week that were positive dude that's my new podcast oh, really? i want to get you out yeah we'll just do it maybe we'll wrap this up with a gratitude list and we'll have mike email me the file but that's it okay I, I end my podcast every week with a gratitude list with the guy that produces it and it rewires your brain man it really does it's amazing by the end of it i was like i i felt better and you know for the longest time i would hear people talk about gratitude lists and all that and it sounded kind of hokey <laughs> it did yeah you know and, and but then, i'd get uh, angry when people would tell me stuff like that yeah. i was so miserable i'm like oh really my health and i want to just start struggling <laughs> until seriously until, until there's something wrong with your health and exactly then, yeah and then you're like 100% oh. so so when people say your health is everything it is and, everything and you're healthy and you hear that and you're like, fuck off. I'm healthy as shit. I'm not happy. <laughs> Dude, one of my favorite lines in Godfather Part 2 is what Hyman Roth is my favorite gangster, one of my favorite movie characters of all time. The old gangster that ran Cuba and what was like the guy Michael Corleone. Like, and he was, I'd give two million to be able to take a piss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? We have everything. Yeah. We get to live our dream. We live in Southern California. We have the coolest people ever we get to hang out with. We're in the world famous comedy store. Like, if you told the 13 year old Steve Simone that was bringing whoopee cushions and itching powder in the eighth grade that one day I'd be hanging out at the comedy store, are you kidding me? Yeah. We did it. Yeah. 
Yeah, that that's true. I, you know, I said this recently about the the gatekeepers. You know, friend, your friends would always be like, "One of these days, you're gonna make it." I'm like, I haven't had a day job in 20 years. I have made it, motherfucker. Yeah, it's the truth. <laughs> it's the truth. You know? And then what we were just talking about before we went live, like we were talking about, there was certain. Uh, uh, it, it's not about money, man. Yeah, I think that's the the craziest. That was the best thing about being really, really poor. Is that I used to think like, well, if I had money, I'd be happy. Yeah. And then some of my friends started to make a lot of money. And I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, they're more miserable now yeah. than when they were as poor as me. Yeah. So it's like, start celebrating what you have. Yeah. You have make it true. Yeah. yeah. That's true, too. The more People you have, have the more said you... that. They, like, I firmly believe that. The more you have, the more you have to fear to lose. Yeah. yeah. So you got to overcome your fears, not let them just be in the moment. Yeah. Have some laughs. Life's, this is what I really, this is how simple I think life is. The only thing you really need is like something like a delicious sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> and somebody to share it with. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's a pretty good way to look at it. And sometimes I'll think about things that like if I'm in a bad mood or a funk, I'll think about times where like I, I went to jail for 50 days one time. What? What did <laughs> no, you no, do? No, no, no. Whoa, this is I a great this is fantastic. Well, and, and sometimes, sometimes you got I'll, caught in the wrong county, though. That was part of it. Yeah, Johnson County. Never get in trouble in Johnson County. Um, Where's Johnson County? It's in Overland Park, Kansas, and it's just one of those areas where they don't have a lot of crime. So uh-huh. when you do do something, they really stick it to you because it's a it's a huge business, a jail and all that shit. They, yeah. There's a ton of money in that. Oh, People yeah. don't realize how much money they make off of it. Anyway, long story short, I told this on one of my first podcasts already, but I. I broke a Denny's window. I was wasted one night, and I broke a Denny's window with my fist like an idiot. And uh, thank God I didn't hurt, oh, hurt myself. Oh, you cut any tendons? Yeah. Yeah. But I, I broke a Denny's window, and then I flunked a drug test for smoking pot. Like, I had two weeks left on my probation, and about four weeks... Wait, what were you on probation originally for? For breaking the window. Okay. Yeah. And uh, for some reason, it was in Johnson County, so they were making me take drug tests. And uh, so... Anyway, I had two weeks left on my probation, and the probation officer I had was kind of a closet comedy fan. Like, he was real serious about his job, uh-huh. but he would ask me about comedy, and he let it slip that he liked, like, the Chappelle show and that kind of shit. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so he quit making me take drug tests up until... Um, he quit making me... You know, I took, like, two or three, and I passed them, and then I started gradually smoking weed again, and I figured out a way, like, there's this stuff you can get from GNC to mask your pee and drink it if you have to i did that a couple times and it worked really and then he just quit testing me altogether and i had two weeks left and i walked in for my last probation meeting where they were basically just going to discharge me oh no and it was a different probation officer like he had moved on and it was some some lady that it was like her first skagnetti it was her (laughs) 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 reservoir dogs reference yeah it was her first like week on the job so she like had something to prove or whatever and Mm. she was like i'm gonna drug test you and in my head i was like oh Mm. you know outward i'm like okay no problem and in my head i'm like oh shit (laughs) and i went and got that stuff from gnc and it didn't work and i flunked a drug test and i had the worst judge in all of overland park and long story short he put me in jail and if i wouldn't have had a lawyer I would have gone to jail for a year. What? A full year. And the the lawyer was like, my lawyer was, that I had to pay a ton of money to got me a deal where he was like, well, you can go back on probation for a year, but he's not going to let you do comedy at <gasps> all. He's not going to let you do comedy because he's not going to let you be anywhere where they serve alcohol. Oh, my God. Or you can do 50 days in jail because I already done 10 when it first happened because that, that'll be 60 days and then it'll be done. 
and uh. no probation, no nothing. And I was like, well, I'll do that. I would much rather. But I had a kick-ass summer. I was supposed to be at like all these improvs and funny bones. I had to cancel uh. all of them, which sucked. But I got it all over with. And uh, speaking of trying to have a positive attitude, I just kept thinking like, okay, I'm doing 50, do- 50 days in jail, but I don't have to pay for any of these meals. So that's like <laughs> look 20, at the bright side. Yeah, I'm like that's twenty dollars a day at least on food. I'm not spending. I'm like I'm making a thousand bucks by being in here for fifty days, <laughs> not paying rent. Yeah, F- food is free. And Get I, to work out and I like, making buddies. Yeah. <laughs> well, you can't re- you can't uh, work out in there. Like if they caught you like doing push ups or squats or just free weight squats or anything, they would make you stop, which kind of sucked. Wow. Um, but I like I don't know. I, I like to read. Um, and they shipped you around to like I think I went to like four different jails, and I like to read. So being in jail is not—it's boring, but it's not that freaking—it's not that big a deal, really. <laughs> when you know you're coming out in fifty days, yeah, yeah, and especially when I was in there with guys, that and you're were a like, badass. I was <laughs> well, I don't, four years removed from state championship. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. There, there were guys in there that were doing like two years, and uh, I did almost get into a fight one night because I. I'm a pretty nice guy, but if you wake me up, I'm an asshole. And they were really being loud, and I was like, I got pretty upset about it. I was like, shut the fuck up, <laughs> you know, just shut up. And this big dude came down, and he was like, he was like, you want to make me shut up? And I was like, I will if I have to, motherfucker. And it got pretty ugly, but then we did the whole jail, shake hands, and make up thing. But that was about the closest I got to getting into a fight. But yeah, so I'm anyway. intimidated. Right now. <laughs> fifty years, of, fifty days of hard time. Fifty I mean. days. Oh yeah, as soon as you hear wrestler, you're like, oh god, better pack a lunch. <laughs> that's like seriously the skill that all your MMA fighters now. That's their base. Yeah, it's like you get your kids involved in wrestling, and then you add jujitsu and striking. I wonder if there's going to be a huge boom in wrestling participation. There already is. Have you noticed anything? Um, I mean, yeah, it's, or heard it's, of anything it's, like that? It's uh. It's going through the roof a little bit, uh-huh. you know, as far as because people do realize that a lot of MMA comes base. from that. Ben Askren is—I don't know if you guys know who that is—but he was undefeated in uh, Dana. What Dana White would never let him in mm. to like uh, whatever Dana White runs. He would never let him let Ben Askren in. But Askren was this amazing folk style wrestler and made the Olympic team and all that and freestyle. But anyway, he was—he uh, said one of a po- his podcasts recently. He was like, "That's the best." Self-defense there is Is folk style wrestling And learning how to now, Beat, beat people up What's the difference Between folk style And freestyle Just the rule set And the score The way you score points Could, And uh Do they do Folk style's more about control And freestyle's You know Just exposure Like in free, in, folk, in folk style You have to hold someone On their back For like a, a matter Of a few seconds A few swipes They call it Okay To get your points And in freestyle You just roll them through And it's So you score a lot quicker You can get tech fold And which means gotcha. You stop the match And like Thirty seconds of someone. I don't know the the history of them, but Ben Askren was awesome. I mean, who's the American heavyweight, the young kid that beat that unbelievable Russian legend, Rulon Gardner? Is that the guy? Yeah, he wrestled a guy named Alexander Karelin who hadn't lost in thirteen years. Yes. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. I'll be How com- come more people don't know about this kid? I'll be completely honest with you. I was kind of bummed out when Rulon beat him, just because the Russian was like. A legend. Yeah, he hadn't lost in 13 years. That's and, incredible. And he was going for his fourth Olympic gold medal in a row. And My then, God. and then Greco Roman has these really fucked up rules, and and Rulon Garter beat beat him. And he's an American, so I should have been happy about it. But the, you know, the history and lover in me was like, ah, fuck, I can't believe Rulon 
I can't believe of all the people. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, but yeah. That was what, 2004? The Olympics or 2008? Because then he uh, went on, because everyone knows Rulon Gardner from not dying in a snowmobile and yeah. losing his toe and walking back like 30 miles through the mountains. Yeah. And Rulon was obviously legit. I mean, he won the Olympics and he came back the next, year, next four years later and got a bronze. So he wasn't like some chump. But I was kind of bummed out when. When uh, I guess that's anti-American of me, but I was like, ah, fuck, <laughs> can't believe your love, your love for wrestling superseded your love for it, your country. It, yeah. <laughs> well, that's. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I guess it kind of did in that situation. Wrestling's a big part of this comedy club, you know. I mean, one, a lot of comedians are huge wrestling fans. I mean, they got the force st- or the, the fu- store horse. Yeah, the, the store horse. But thank you. Uh, but uh, we were all blessed, you know, for. Many years, like when when Roddy came up. Oh here. yeah, yeah, Roddy, like, Roddy Piper, and not, nicest guy ever. And I, I kind of wanted to bring it up and attempt it too, just because we. I mean, you more, you and like Lucas Hurl, you know, were like yeah. really, really close with Roddy. I mean, me, great guy, you know. Yeah, Roddy came here. This is how it happened. Uh, I remember everything because it was the best Christmas I ever had as an adult. Mm-hmm. I got to spend Christmas with the troops in two th- Christmas of 2008, so it'll be 10 years ago. It was, honestly, you know when you're a little kid, Christmas is magical? Right. Like, you can feel it. It's different. It's, yeah. You know it's Christmas. And then you get older, and you sort of lose that feeling, no matter how much. I guess maybe when you have kids, you get the magic back. Yeah. So, uh I had a couple awful Christmas. You know, you're poor. You can't go home. And then this, I had enough money saved up. I was like, I'm not going to do Christmas at Burger King again. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like that's, that's as depressing as it gets. Yeah. But then the offer came through and was like, would you be willing to do a tour for the troops? And I was like, yep, absolutely. And it was awesome. We did Christmas. I remember Christmas Day was on the USS Nimitz. And we did like four shows. And it was lights out murder. It was because it was so much fun. Yeah. Dude, we did a show like on this oil rig two days before Christmas in the middle of nowhere with like 30 badass Marines. Like it was awesome. Yeah. So I get back. We're on our way home and I'm at the airport in Dubai and I'm finally checking my email because I didn't have Wi-Fi for a couple of days. Mm -hmm. Most of the bases have it, but we were traveling so much I didn't have it. So I'm in the airport and I'm going, I'm like, let's see, (gasps) rowdy comedy. What's that? And it was an email from Eric Abrams that used to book the improv, who's the best. And he was like, do you have any interest in doing a comedy show with Rowdy Roddy Piper? I was like, oh, uh, yes. <laughs> I was like, thank you, Santa. I'm like, this is what I get for giving, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like this was – so I remember like being so nervous and excited because that was 2000 – January of 2009. And I think it was April of 2005 when WrestleMania was in L.A. Okay. Uh, I couldn't afford a ticket to go, but the Hall of Fame induction ceremonies, everybody from my childhood was getting inducted. Yeah. And uh, it was, you know, Nikolai Volkov, Paul Orndorff, the Iron Sheik, Hulk Hogan, and Rowdy Roddy Piper. And so then they said Sylvester Stallone was going to give the induction speech Holy for shit. Hulk Hogan. <laughs> that is a so, kid's dream. Oh, dude. At the time, the only good thing in my life, like gig-wise, is that Court McCown used to pay me to... Uh, hand out flyers for the Playboy Comedy <laughs> Tour in Vegas. He'd pay for my ticket out there. I'd get a couple hundred bucks for just handing out flyers for three days, buffet passes, oh. and I got to do the cold open on the show. Five cold minutes. Nice. 
buffet passes, hotel at the Cool Kid Hotel, the Palms. The Palms. That was when it was hot, too. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. It yeah. was ridiculous. That like, was Palms 08, 09, not Palms. 10. No, that was Palms or, 04, 05. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Wow. That was the coolest place yeah, in Vegas. Be. Yeah. And I was like, Court can't make the show this week, this month. And he was like, why? What's going on, buddy? I'm like, Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame induction ceremony. <laughs> and he laughed. He's like, no, what's really going on? I'm like, yeah. no, seriously, <laughs> I can't miss this. And I, I had no money. And me and Brett Ernst got tickets, and we were so our seats were so they were we could touch the ceiling. And I had my last twenty five dollars. I bought a Hot Rod Rowdy Rowdy Piper T shirt. Nice. It was all the T shirts from my childhood, and I realized that Piper was the reason why I loved it because I wanted him to lose. Yeah. And then you get older, and you realize how funny he was. So legendary speech, Ric Flair, and gives the introduces Piper. Yeah. They killed it. And I'm like, this is the best night ever. Three years later, I get an email where I get to perform with Rowdy Rowdy Piper. Wow. Now, I had a bunch of material about pro wrestling because I'm a moron. <laughs> and everybody else just did their normal act. Yeah. Okay. So then it was like, nervous, there's Piper. It was like meeting somebody from the Marvel Universe. I'm like, this is a superhero. Because yeah. pro wrestling, to me, when I was a kid, was like comic books for kids that didn't like to read. Yeah was good versus evil, yeah. larger-than-life personalities. And there he was. And I remember my buddy that owns the gym back home was like, be very respectful. He goes, those old-school guys, he goes, they can shoot. I'm yeah. like, what? And he goes, you don't know. He goes, he might be a little touched. Don't say anything. He might just split your head open. And I'm <laughs> like, yeah, you're right. So uh, I do my set, and it's all about pro wrestling, and I crushed it. Nice. And Piper was hosting, right? And he comes up on stage, and he's just smiling. Come here. And he hugged me, and I'm like, what the? Roddy Roddy Piper's hugging me? And then he started to pet my head like oh. a dog. That was one of the things he used to do. Oh, isn't he cute? And I'm like, what the hell? This is I know. So then two days later, his manager calls. Yeah. She goes, Roddy was really impressed with your set. This is something he really wants to do. He likes your style of comedy. He has a lot of stories. Look. Is there any way he could come see you at the comedy store and just? I don't know. Oh, uh, yeah. So I was. I had a main room spot. Nice. But I didn't get up till like three hours into mm -hmm. the show, right? So Piper comes in with his entourage. I remember thinking it was his girlfriend and it was his daughter because he's a total family. But I didn't know that at the time, right? And I'm just like, okay, don't make eye contact. How are you, Mr. Piper? Okay, sir. Like whatever. <laughs> and they're in a booth, and I'm like going over my set in my head. But you know how the uh, main room, like any OR or the main room at this place. If you go up with a game plan, it's not going to work. Yeah. You know? So now sure. it's two and a half, three hours into the show. I had all these bits I wanted to do. Now there's 20 people left in the room. There's no energy. And I just, I remember I started to tell a story about my niece. Mm -hmm. And we're having a tea party. And I'm like, this four-year-old, I'm drinking invisible tea. Like, mm. She was like, but Uncle Stevie, it's hot. And I'm like, it's burning. It's burning. She's like, ha, ha, ha. Right? I'm on stage telling that bit. And then I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> Rowdy Roddy Piper's in the audience. He's going to think you're a dork. Uh, yeah. And then he came up to me and hugged me again. He goes, I have three daughters. Yeah. He was like, so then his manager calls me. She was like, look, would you be willing to help out Roddy? I'm like, absolutely. So then I met him during the day. Him and his buddy Mitch, who's the coolest guy ever. His buddy Mitch was like a big-time producer and was also like a creative consultant to the WWF and WCW, okay. has the coolest collectible I've ever seen because he's a big sports guy, yeah. a big comic book guy, and a big wrestling guy. So he's got like he's got this beautiful home in the top of the hills, like rich guy house, 
with all kinds of cool stuff like autographs and comics and baseball cards. But he has the best collectible ever. He has a handwritten note from Big John Stud explaining what it is. And it's a locket of Andre the Giant's hair that Big John Stud cut off in that match back in the day. So anyway, I get to be buddies with Mitch. I get to be buddies with Roddy. And then we started to hang out here during the day. And he would just get on the OR stage and start telling me stories. And I'd write everything down, record everything, and then help him cobble together a set. Nice. It was the coolest it's thing ever. brilliant, too, because you get him comfortable with the stage, no yep. audience. Because <laughs> yep. it's, it's a different thing. Like, I know musicians, and we all do in entertainment, that are tour, play in front of massive crowds, you know, thousands of people. And then they'll come back and, you know, call us and be like, how do you do it? How do you just yeah. get up there in front of 150 people? I'm like, dude, you just played 10,000. You're like, yeah, but I, I can hide behind the guitar or whatever. So even though if he was selling out the, you know, the Metrodome or yeah, whatever, yeah, 80,000 people yeah, he's Detroit, wrestled in front of. You know, it's a whole different thing to go up in an intimate room and like, yeah. and like, hey, this is who I am. So then what I started to do is to get him comfortable. I would go up and do, start to do a set, right? This is how we worked him in, and I do like five minutes of material. I try to make make wrestling references and stuff. I do have a friend that's in the audience tonight, and maybe he'd come up here and say hello, Rowdy Roddy Piper, and then place would go crazy. Yeah. Then he'd come up on stage with me, and I'd be like, Rowdy, could you just tell him that one story? And that's how I sort of eased him into it. Yeah, I remember that. I remember when that started happening. I'd be in the audience and be like, fucking, that's Rowdy Piper. It's the craziest thing ever. Yeah. I used to do a bit bit about, and occasionally i pull it out about um, how I was going to be a wrestling coach, and there's not much you can do with wrestling unless you... You know, I can't be a pro wrestler. I'm not big enough unless I was like the giant midget. And <laughs> and, and he loved that bit. He thought that was so funny. And uh, it was really cool for him to, you know, he was just a very genuine, very genuine person. Greatest person. In general. Are we on Facebook Live right now? No, no. You got to refigure your uh, laptop. To okay. Well, that sucks. Is that what you started doing? You yeah, started yeah. Nerding We're out on YouTube there. right here. This is live right here. And then the Twitch, a couple people are chiming in. Hello from behind, whoever that guy is, and et cetera, et cetera. Okay. But no, it was great when Roddy would come up here. Like around that time, I just happened to have a little personal camera and I would bring it to work with me. And I was, one night I documented, I ended up editing it. It's on YouTube right now, but it's Earl. It's when he brought Sergeant Slaughter in. Oh, yeah. Or when Piper and Slaughter came in. And Earl did his Ric Flair. And and he'd lip sync the Ric Flair. And this is before, like, people didn't know who Ric Flair was until about 10 years ago. And then it just, like, boomed. And now everyone's like, woo! You could, in 28, in 2008, you could go, woo! And And no one would know what that was. Yeah, yeah. no one would know what that was. (laughs) We knew. And so, so, the real fans knew. So Skakel does the whole Ric Flair, like, word for word, and he's lip syncing it. It's, It's great. And then afterwards, you know, Sergeant Slaughter and Roddy were both like, this is incredible to like be entertained. Like, this is great. This is better than fucking midgets was what Slaughter said. It's on the video. It's, oh man, it's, uh, but that was magic, man. I didn't realize like you were the bridge that, that brought him in here. Yeah. And that's th- why thank they, you for that. Cause they that, put, they put our names next to each other on oh, the wall. Oh man. Wow. That's cool. That's special. That's yeah. See this, this club does give it, have a little bit of heart. Yeah, <laughs> there's and a little I, bit of it in there. And, and when he passed away, that was very unexpected, right? Because he yeah, had a heart, he had a heart attack, right? Yeah. And you know, picture of health. If you look at him, I mean, yeah. the guy was still ripped, and he was sixty. You know, you you want to hear how tough he was? Yeah. He had a match, I believe, with Terry Funk, like an indie match. Mm-hmm. 
And then afterwards, he was just like, ah, yeah, my neck's stiff. Something must have happened. And he'd leave here driving home. Ah, I'm a little stiff. How are you, pal? Ah, I'm a little stiff. Six months later, he goes to the doctor, and they're like, you have a broken neck. Jesus. He was walking around with a broken neck for six months. And, and, and probably wrestling and doing everything. Everything. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And a lot of people don't know that he was a black belt under Judo Jean LaBelle, who arguably is, at one point, was the toughest guy in the world. Really? Huh. Yeah. That's cool as shit. You've known some... You, you were best friends with Andrew Dice Clay. You were best yep. friends with Rowdy Roddy Piper. Yeah. You... New. One month, I was best friends with Tracy Morgan yes. for a month. You oh. remember those years? Dude, remember Slick for a, Rick? For a month? Yeah, went to Slick Rick 2004. concert. 2004. I dropped this real quick. Uh, we're at we're at the House of Blues, rest in peace, and we're seeing Slick Rick, and we got some Ingram and I, and Simone's there, and then all of a sudden, you know, hey, young world, this is a great concert. And then yep. he goes, I want to give a shout out to my man, Tracy Morgan, upstairs. And Steve goes, Tracy's here. We go upstairs, and he's at the VIP Cliff or whatever the hell that little box is. Yeah. And, he, and Steve goes, Tracy, it's Steve. And he turned, oh, shit, my man, Steve Simone. And he's like, Steve's like, immediately, this is this is my buddy John and Rick there. Come on, they're comedians. Oh, you think you guys are funny? <laughs> yeah. All right, then, come on in. <laughs> and like, just invited us in. And, and Steve's like, you want to smoke pot with them? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, hey, Tracy, these guys got some pot. Yeah, let's smoke it. We go outside. He's like, you guys ever smoke weed on the Sunset Strip before? And Ingram and I immediately like, yeah, all, all the time, actually, right <laughs> over there at the comedy store. I've been on this side. And we're like, never. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> just the nicest guy. Some friends. Friend- I faked smoking pot with him once, and Eric Marino was the only one that noticed. Really? That's yeah, because I was such a nerd. Because you're not, you to. don't smoke weed, right? No, no. Oh. But I'm afraid of it. Tracy, <laughs> a friend of mine. Too much '80s propaganda. I, I want to drop a quick Tracy Morgan story. A friend of mine, uh, they she used to work in New York City, and they had, and this is when Tracy was on Saturday Night Live, and they they hired him for like a corporate party. They're giving him oh, like ten thousand dollars. My God! And he came in during the day, and they're like, "Oh, this guy's on Saturday Night Live. It's gonna be great." <laughs> He was doing all this like ass fucking material and just all <laughs> yep, this shit. That's his and she said the whole like uh, all the corporate big wigs are just like, jaws dropped. Oh man, it was so like <laughs> nicest guy ever. And the crazy thing is, whenever I see, I'll see him every couple years, and he'll pick up the conversation right where we left off. Really? Right? Like once I was at a Starbucks on Melrose, I hadn't seen him in like three or four years. And he was like, my man, E, because he said I look like E from Entourage. Yeah. <laughs> and then, boom, we get into it. TMZ shows up, and he was like, and he's it's just very pretty. He's like, I haven't seen my friend in a while. Could you please just turn off the cameras? Yeah. And then the last time I saw him, I felt so cool. Because I, I never think he's going to remember me. Yeah. And, like, it was here at the Comedy Store, and he's in that OR back hallway. And literally everybody's gathered around him. Right. Like, because he's not here that often, so it's a big deal, right? Yeah. So he's holding court. Everybody's dying laughing. And I just see him. And I don't think he sees me yet, but he must out of the corner of his eye because he just he's talking to everybody. And then he just goes, reunited and it feels so good. <laughs> and he was like, sing it, E. And everybody was like, Steve Simone knows Tracy Morgan. Oh, he's an OG. Nice. Yeah. yeah a sweet guy. Another it, really sweet. It guy. is an OG. That was like 0304, right? When you guys, I guess it was we, when he was filming the longest yard. We, yeah, but we stepped on the story of how you guys hung out too. Like you guys were just, from what I remember, you would just chill and play video games, right? While he was in LA, that's how you guys became friends. Or you no, were, just here. He was hanging out one oh, time, okay, and we okay. just started talking. 
Nice. And that was it. Steven, and that was back when I was still drinking. So Steven, best friends with some super cool people. And you were here in... Uh, I did, a lot of people don't know that you were a manager here. Yeah. So you knew Mitzi pretty well, huh? Yeah, I sure did. Yeah. And it's... Uh, What's your favorite Mitzi story? Do you have one? Favorite. <laughs> I meant to send you a text last night and be like, hey, come with a favorite Mitzi story. Just oh, so man, you... Because so I'm many. sure you have a ton of them. I'll tell you one that kind of blew me away. Okay. Um. So Paulie finds me at a stand-up comedy contest. I had already quit my job. I'd been out here on a vacation, and I'm like, "This is what I want to do." I had a very limited experience as a comedian. I'd probably done about ten open mics. So you started in Philadelphia. Started in Baltimore. Okay. Did a couple open mics there. This is like the late '90s. Comedy was dead. Right. So then I tried to do whatever I could other than comedy. Mm-hmm. And then I was just at a point where I was so miserable. I'm like, I have to give this a shot. I have to try. So I came out here kind of like on a scouting mission. Yeah. And my buddy was like, let's move out here. I'm like, yes. He was like, all right, let's quit our jobs and move out here. So I did that. And he didn't. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm like, oh, my God. So I don't have a job. I'm living at home with my parents. And I'm like, it's over. I'm never going to see California again. Yeah. Everything sucks. Why try to do anything at all? Everything's whatever. And then there was a comedy contest. And, uh. I remember thinking if I made it to the finals, I could do a show with Pauly Shore. Yeah. And I'm like, that's a story to tell your kids. Right. Like, I'm like, you know, maybe I sell insurance or whatever. But there was one night in my life where I was on stage in front of a thousand people with a movie star. Yeah. I was like, that'd be a pretty cool story. I just hope I make it to the finals. Yeah. So I make it to the finals. I win the contest. Paulie was super cool. Dean Gelberg, who was the general manager of this place, and at the time, just Paulie's road manager was like, here's my cell. Call me if you ever make it to L.A. I'm like, oh, oh I will. I'm, I'm planning on doing it. And then uh, I still was afraid and didn't have any money and didn't have any contact. They were my only contact. Yeah. But then a kid I knew from high school moved out here. So I'm like, maybe I, I got it. So then I just got miserable enough <laughs> where I just got in my car one day and drove. Yeah. And I get to L.A. I have no money. From I, Philly. From Philly. And my car was so stinky that I knew it wasn't good enough to drive back. Yeah. So I'm, now I'm done. I remember my dad did give me good advice like the night before I left. It was like the only time like, like it was like a movie. And uh, my dad's looking at me and he goes, uh, you've heard the expression, don't burn your bridges, right? And I'm like, yeah. He goes, you know, where, you know what that means? And I told him I thought it meant. He goes, yeah, kind of. He goes, but you know where that came from? I'm like, no. He goes, the Romans. Were the for a long, long time were the most feared army in the world. Mm-hmm. He goes, but there were times where they would get themselves in the situations where they're outnumbered, they're outgunned. So what they would do is when they would go in the battle, they would burn the bridges behind them, so they knew they couldn't retreat. Mm-hmm. And he goes, it was either you win or you die. Yeah. And he was like, let me tell you something, son. There's never a right time in life for anything. He goes, you can think, you can plan it. But he goes, that's not how life works. Right. Because it's never the right time to get married. And he started to give examples. And he was like, you never have enough money. You never have enough security. You never." And he was like, it's never the right time to have a kid. It's never the right time to start a new job. It's never, he goes, it's never right. It's either you do it or you don't. And the next day I drove out here with nothing. Wow. And uh, I was so poor, miraculously, I got a job in a pizza place my second day here, third day here. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, oh, I don't have to spend any money on food. Yeah, and then uh, I called Dean, 
he did remember me. I'd been out here like a week, and I'm like, I have no money. How's this work? I don't need. He explained how you get on the open mic at the comedy store, and he was like, "What we need to do is get you in as a door guy." But he goes, "That'll take some time." He goes, "Just start doing open mics. Be nice to people. Don't be a douchebag, and just do that." So I tried to do that, and it was a pain in the ass. Then Paulie was shooting a movie, so he got me a job as a PA. I was making fifty bucks a day, and I do remember this. There was one day I got on set at six a.m. It was. 2.30 in the morning, you know how nobody works in L.A. You yeah. know what I mean? Like everybody. Yeah. And I remember just being so pissed by that point. I was doing everything, taking out the trash, craft services. We had to move stuff. And I remember I was so mad that I had taken a couch and I was moving it by myself down a flight of steps. And I'm like, who's this asshole in my way? And it was Paulie. Because <laughs> Paulie kind of remembered me. But that, you know what I mean? Like, And he was like more impressed that I was working that hard. So I got home. It was 3.30 in the morning. Paulie Shore called me. Shut the fuck up. Yeah, and he goes, hey, dude, I noticed how hard you were working. He goes, I'm going to get you a job at the comedy store. And I had been in town for like three or four months. I got a job answering phones here. Freddie Lockhart trained me on the phones. And then uh, three months after that, they had two managers at the time, and one of them – uh, the night before, went through all the whipped cream because he was doing whippets, so they had to fire him. <laughs> and they were like, how about that guy that – because I, sh- I had the phone shift nobody wanted yeah. to like 9 a.m. to like 1 p.m. So I'd wake up, do the phones here, then go deliver pizzas in Santa Monica. Nice. And they were like, you want to manage the club? So then I had to sit down with Mitzi and everything about it. I remember every detail was surreal. But then we come to the club. And uh, we had this amazing conversation in her booth. Uh, the name of the show was Arabian Nights. Yeah, It was Sam Tripoli, Aaron Cater, Maz Jabrani, Ahmed Ahmed. And I remember this is 2001. Okay, This was March of 2001. So it's post-swingers Vince Vaughn gets on stage, but pre-old uh, school Vince Vaughn. Okay. So he was a star, but he wasn't the biggest star in Hollywood yet. Yeah, but yeah. I'm like, this is super cool. And Mitzi starts to tell me that like the Mitzi I knew, a lot of people didn't. Yeah. And it started from that first night we really hung out where she was a very spiritual person. Yeah. And she told me that God helped her build this place mm-hmm. because she really thought laughter could bring people together and how proud she was to be Jewish. But she knew that she had to develop Arab comics because she goes, it's going to get bad. There's going to be a war. Yeah. And I'm like, what? She goes, it's going to be really, really bad. But I know that if I can develop these comedians, they can go to these countries and bring some healing. And six months after that, Maz, Ahmed, and Aaron were on the cover of the Wall Street Journal. Wow. Huh. It's cool as shit. It's crazy. Yeah. She had tons of stories. She had stories about everybody, dude. Yeah, I bet. Everybody. It's a great story about your dad, too. Yeah. Yeah, I, I couldn't help but think... My dad never told me anything. Dude, that was the... I, dude. I was thinking the same thing. In all like, honesty, that's the one time the stars aligned. Like my dad used to just be like, don't bother me. Yeah. There's a lot of the people listening. Take that home. T- say that to your kid someday. That was Because normally, it was just like, just don't bother dad. He would just lay in bed and be miserable. Yeah. Or yeah. sit out in the driveway and not want to come in the house. Yeah. He's like, why sprinkle little bits of knowledge throughout the entire... Yeah, he dropped it all in one one, night. Just (laughs) Nagasaki that thing and then send your kid out to L.A. Yep. So your parents are still married? Yeah, 49 years. Cool. Wow. Yeah, it's crazy, right? It's awesome. 
Yeah. I could tell, like, your family unit is strong. I mean, that's it comes across. Yeah, well, please, we're all crazy people. Yeah. Like, what I find frustrating about my approach to comedy, and this is just me venting a little bit, where everybody's like, oh, everything's, oh, yeah, it's such a great family, and everything's so perfect. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Just because I'm choosing to see the positive and put a positive spin on things, nobody's life is perfect. Yeah, everybody's right. crazy people. Everybody has, their family's been through stuff you don't want anybody to find out, and you're embarrassed of, and... But that's life. It's like look at it from the, how how you look at it, the the choice you make of of of, of life. It's all the decision to see the best. Yeah. Does that make sense? No, no, sure. absolutely. I mean, and the proof is on what you do on stage. You know, when you talk about your family, you know, it's like you you spin that, and then in such a way too, where the audience is like, "Holy shit! Did this guy have a camera in my living room in 1989?" Like yeah. that's the amazing, like the shit you talk about, the, you can just see it in the audience faces. You take them to this place where they haven't been in decades. Yeah, it's cool. You know, and it really is, and it kind of brings up a little bit of that Christmas morning magic you were talking oh, about. Because yeah. you start thinking about like, oh man, that was great, the good times and celebrate. That's what it is. It's the choice to go. Are we gonna? It's the gratitude list. Yeah. Like I really try to use my comedy as a form of a like it's a it's a verbal gratitude list. And there was a long time where it was a verbal suicide note. You know what I mean? Where yeah, I would yeah. just be like, "This sucks. This sucks. This sucks." Yeah. But it wasn't making me feel better, and it wasn't making the audiences feel better. Yeah. It's it's your your uh, your act is very original, and it's very unhackable. You know, <laughs> like you. people can't steal your shit. They can't. I mean, yeah, they, I guess they right. could, but they, they, would, they would do a terrible job. Yeah. You know, it'd be awful. Like I've, I've heard, I've had people be like, "I'm gonna take your joke." I'm like, "Eh, you're gonna fuck it up." Yeah, <laughs> dude. The best was in China. I had a, a buddy of mine owns a comedy club in Shanghai that I've done, oh, and there was a comedian from South America on stage doing one of my bits. Really? Whoa. And I was like, "Dude, what a compliment!" No yeah. kidding. I thought it was the coolest thing ever, and he was like, "He didn't do it well." Yeah. <laughs> That's uh, funny. Who? Who do you is there a, a specific comedian that you look up to comedically or that you were influenced by? Look, let me tell you the truth. Anybody that survived this business yeah. has my utmost respect. Yeah. Anybody that uh, has the courage to even just get out on stage and do an open mic, because I know how much it means. Mm -hmm. That's the one thing I. I just wish people were cooler to everybody else that's trying to come through the ranks. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because you remember the, you know how much this meant to us? Yeah. When we first got started? Because we all get started because we love it. You know? And there were so many comedians I loved coming up. Uh, everybody. Really everybody. But a great lesson for me was as I started to figure out what my voice was or whatever. I was like, what if, and this is funny, because I loved like Dice, I loved Kinnison, I loved everybody from Brian Regan and Bob Nelson to Andrew Dice Clay and Sam Kinnison and everybody in between. Eddie Murphy, huge, prior, huge. But as I started to tell my stories and started to go, okay, this is what I'll do, I was like, what if I took like Robin Williams' approach to being in the moment and performing and high energy? with Bill Cosby's wholesome family stories. Yeah. And I'm like, that's an interesting mix. Yeah. And then I remember Robin unfortunately killed himself when we found out who Bill Cosby was. And that was like really the last straw for me where I'm like, okay, I don't care if I ever become famous. I just want to make enough money to see my family. Uh, 
God willing, one day I'll find a girl that's not, doesn't drive me crazy, and just have enough money for Friday pizza night, and we're good, man. Well, I'm sure that's you'll it. find a girl, but never one that doesn't drive you crazy. <laughs> that's what everybody says, where I'm like, she's just never happy. And now all my friends are like, yeah, none of them ever are. Yeah, I, I got pretty lucky when it comes to that. My my uh, my wife is pretty great. I'm really looking forward you, to having, having a kid. You knew pretty fast, too, right? Um, when did you know that this was different? I, I don't even know how to answer that, because um, we never fight. And, and a lot of the girls that I was with... See, I grew up in a very chaotic, um, dramatic, everything was, you know, and my dad did, was no, you know, I, I, my stepmom didn't treat us very well, and I remember asking him one time, I was like, why do you let her treat us this yeah. way? And he goes, because good pussy overrules all. <laughs> this was a... Very honest <laughs> advice, yeah. I gotta be yeah, honest. He, he had a... He had a uh, There's so much truth to that. A, an, uh, an honest, yeah, it was honest, and but I was also 11, and I was... <laughs> <laughs> and I remember thinking, like, wow, I'm 11, and I know that's really fucked up for you to say. Um, and, and, but, but I say that to say that my dad always taught me kind of the wrong shit. So for the longest time, I was attracted to women for the wrong reasons. Mm. And uh, it, I finally realized, like with Casey, like, if I'm ever going to have a family, this is the girl you need to do it with. It's not... It's not uh, it's not. It's not about always like sex or you know all the wrong shit that I was taught. It was yeah. about like you have to know. You have to be with somebody that you can get along with, good in the day to day, and that's uh, all there is. Yeah, and you know because that's of. your life. You that's every day is your life with this person. You know? I yeah. need to find somebody I can do nothing with, and that you can and that you can raise a family with and be on the same page with. Like we're very much on the same page when it comes to like how we feel about a lot of things, whether it's God or awesome. Um, you know, like she's the kind of woman that if. I know that when when Micah is going to be my son's name. Uh huh. Yeah, it's a good name. It's a it? great name. Yeah, when Micah is, uh, if he asks my mom or my my mom my my wife something, you know, his mother, when she's like, if if I say no, she's the type of woman that's going to be like, your daddy said no, and that's yeah. all there's going to be to it, you know. And you know, she might come to me in private and be like, you know, I think that. Yeah, maybe you should let him do that, or maybe yeah, yeah, should, yeah. maybe we should let him do that. But she'll never cut my balls off in front of him. Yeah, and that's that's very important to me. I think that's when I realized, like, you know, there was never a common sense yeah. isn't so common. Yeah, and especially when you're not, you know, given the right blueprints when you're a kid. Right. You know. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, I had to figure out a lot of shit on my own. I had to figure out everything on my yeah. own. Yeah. Which is a big reason I had to quit drinking and, and smoking weed and all that stuff because my emotions were just all over the place and I had to realize like so false solutions. Yeah, that's your subconscious fucking with you. It's not real. Yep. Um, and it took me a long time to to get to the point where I loved myself enough that I could be with a woman that was. Um, and I was been, I've had some great girlfriends, you know, in certain ways, but she was the first girl that I was ever like I could have a family with this girl. Yeah. Not just good times and yeah you know, i had some girls that were great on vacations yeah <laughs> yeah but when, it, when right. it came to real life yeah was like uh, I just, yeah i don't i couldn't do it with and that. that's the good stuff man that really it's the little moments yeah you know it's like somebody you can go grocery shopping with where you're like oh my god this is awesome yeah it's, and speaking of the good times before we wrap up i wanted to plug your amazing show that you do good times yep. uh, that you could find on stitcher itunes yeah uh, all that stuff all that stuff we're uh at steve simone and that's yeah uh, 
that's uh, it's Simi one, but I think yeah. right? it's S I M E O N. Someone with an I. Steve Simone. <laughs> that's at Steve Simone. You can find him everywhere. Actually, yeah, and really- I just want to say Father's Day weekend, I'm going to be at the La Jolla Comedy Store. Awesome. And then the week after that, I'm going to open up for Ari at Cobb's Comedy Club in San awesome. Francisco. Oh, so that's, that's going to be fun. That's going to be fantastic. Awesome. And a really good Comedy Central This Is Not Happening episode with uh, Steve Simone man. also that you can find online and everywhere. Yeah. Dude, this was great. Thank you. Thank you. I could talk to you all day, and I'm glad we were able to do it again because we have another podcast we did a few months back, but it was kind of over the phone. It was kind of rushed, and it was on the phone, and you're on your way to somewhere, and then I got like an opportunity to do a gig at the Comedy Magic Club, and so it was really rushed. And uh, it was a good podcast, but we didn't get to talk about near as much stuff as we did today. Yeah, this was the best. Yeah, we could go on forever, but um, we're gonna wrap it up so we're not in traffic for two fucking hours, but. Anyway, as always, go to uh, timgathercomedy.com. I'll be at Hyenas in Fort Worth, Texas this ne- this week, which is a really good club. And then I'll be in Austin on Sunday on my birthday, May 27th, at a place called... Uh, God damn it, I keep forgetting it's, the name it's, of it. Uh, oh God, I just had it too. It's in. Uh, it's on your website, timgathercomedy.com. Yeah, everything's on timgathercomedy.com. Please like and subscribe my YouTube and, and my fan page and all that stuff. As always, go to makingithappen.com, M-A-C-A-N, ithappen.com, and help out little Bo Macon. Any little donation uh, helps that family, and he's a special kid. But, uh, yeah, timgathercomedy.com. You can find everything you need. And, John, you got anything, buddy? Uh, I'm going to be at the Edgewater Casino on uh, June 29th and the 30th at the, in Lake Havasu, Pine Top uh, Casino in uh, – or Hyundai Casino in Pine Top, Arizona on the uh, July 1st. And then September 6th, Angel of the Winds Casino in Washington and – August 31st and September 1st at the uh, Reno Comedy Underground in Reno, Nevada. So when you do Laughlin, you get to take that drive that Sam Kinison died on, which is, uh, it's this really, it's this really hilly, it's this really hilly drive from Sparks, Nevada, I believe, to Laughlin, and it's just all these huge hills, and it's kind of creepy, because you're like, I wonder if this is the hill that, you know. I'll look forward to it. it, Yeah. (laughs) I mean, you know, it's. Literally, like, which one was it? Yeah, you can almost, you can, you can see how it happened, is what I'm saying. So, anyway, that ought to hold you little bastards until next time. Um, Thanks for coming. Todd Larson, thanks for coming in, buddy. Uh, You got anything you want to plug? Okay. Well, Todd Larson came in and took some pictures for us. He's a great comedian. He's the man. And we really appreciate it. And uh, again, thank you very much, Steve Simone, for being on here. And uh, I'll let you know when it's coming out. It should be on May 29th, I believe. So Perfect. We'll make sure you plug it and all that business. Instagram, funny Mofo. Funny Mofo. That's Todd Larson. That's his Instagram. And he put some funny stuff on there. So check it out. Thanks, everybody, for listening. God bless all of you. Take care. Bye.